If you're interested in what China's doing in Africa and the Global South, you're going to want to subscribe to the China Africa Project. We've indexed every major news story going back years, and it's easily searchable by country, topic, or keyword. Plus, we're the only source for daily analysis on all of the big stories related to Chinese engagement in Africa and throughout the developing world. With a subscription, you'll enjoy full access to the site. Plus, you'll get our popular daily email newsletter that comes out every morning at 6 a.m. Washington time. Subscriptions start at just $7 a month for students and teachers and $15 a month for everyone else. To sign up, just go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Once again, that's ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. The China in Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witts University in Johannesburg. The ACRP aims to improve the quality of reporting on Africa-China relations through reporting grants, workshops, and other opportunities for journalists. More information at africachinareporting.co.za and our dedicated training website at africachinatraining.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, it has been an eventful week in Nigeria, where last Friday on June 4th, uh, the Nigerian government uh, outlawed Twitter. Now, they say it's a temporary suspension, but they have banned Twitter. Now, it's not a deep ban as we have, say, in some of the social media sites that we have here in Vietnam or in China where they do deep packet inspection. People can circumvent the ban quite easily by using uh, virtual private networks and whatnot. But it has really dominated the headlines in Nigeria there is a China angle to this story because within 24 hours after the ban went into effect, it has been reported by the Foundation for Investigative Journalism that uh, Ibrahim Gambari, who's the chief of staff of the president, and Lai Mohammed, who's the minister of information, reached out to the Cyberspace Administration of China to discuss plans to build an internet firewall. Now, that should not come as a surprise to anybody, because the Chinese have been in contact with the senior leadership within Nigeria for a number of years, going back as far as that we can tell to 2018-2019. Let's kind of walk through some of the milestones here to set up our conversation today about internet governance and the connection between what's happening in Nigeria and in China. So let me take you back first last year. This is where Lai Mohammed, again, the information minister, you can start to see some of the connections with China in some of the remarks that he told the House committee. And he said, if we don't regulate social media, it will destroy us. Now, he said this during the NSARS moment and the, the controversy and uproar over that. The biggest challenge facing Nigeria today is fake news and misinformation. He went on to say, when we went to China, we could not get Google, Facebook, and Instagram. You could not even use your email in China because they made it sure it was censored. And here's the kicker, well regulated. So some admiration from Lai Mohammed there on how the Chinese were regulating the internet. Now, let's go back to 2019. Senator Mohamed Sani Musa from the largely conservative regions of northern Nigeria, he introduced a bill called the Protection from Internet Falsehood and Manipulations Bill in 2019. 
That was dubbed the anti-social media bill. By the way, it's very similar to a piece of legislation that was making its way through the process in Zimbabwe as well. That would regulate social media much the way they do in China as well. And it got some vocal support from none other than the first lady herself, Aisha Buhari. And she said in response to the bill, if China can control over 1.3 billion people on social media, I see no reason why Nigeria cannot attempt controlling only 180 million people. So again, this is a story that's date back a couple of years. The elite Nigerian leadership has been flirting with the Chinese governance model on the internet for a long time. And last week, they finally took some action on that. Now, the connection to China is very, very tenuous here. So I am not suggesting that China was behind this, China was controlling this, that Buhari was doing this for China, not at all. What this represents is an endorsement of the Chinese model of what's called cyber sovereignty. Let me read from the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. This is their definition of cyber sovereignty going back to 2017. In truth, the Chinese internet governance model goes back probably to the late 2000s, early 2010s. But here's the best, most concise definition that I've seen from it. Quote, upholding sovereignty in cyberspace not only reflects government's responsibility and the rights to administer cyberspace in accordance with the law, but also enables countries to build platforms for sound interactions among governments, businesses, and social groups. It goes on to say, National governments are entitled to administer cyberspace in accordance with the law. They exercise jurisdiction over infrastructure, resources, and activities within their territories. The key part here is that the government controls online activity. That is the key part here. So let me just kind of wrap up the discussion on Chinese cyberspace governance and cyber sovereignty with a summary that I thought was really nicely put together by the folks at Bloomberg who really kind of, you know, just presented it nice and concisely and will help set up our conversation. It's an ideological coup and a rejection of the American internet model, which promised to spur innovation and freedom. Now China is offering a different vision, both internet control and tech innovation, and it has fans. The crux of the Chinese internet model is based around the nation-state. Setting your own rules for your own citizens that can't be circumvented by the internet. China's version of the internet is appealing to other nations who want to control what their populations see and hear, but it doesn't mean China's calling the shots. Instead, it could create an unprecedented bifurcation of the internet, effectively ending our notion of a truly world wide web. Meaning what information you can easily access would depend on where you are and what that government decides you should know. So a lot of that should sound familiar to what happened in Nigeria. Again, that was from the team at Bloomberg and they did a, what I thought was just a nice, concise report. And again, you'll, you'll really hear a lot of the same language that we're hearing out of the Nigerian leadership in defense of their ban of Twitter, talking about sovereignty, national security, in the national interest. Again, the nation state is at the core. And Kobus, Nigeria is by no means alone here. Uh, there's a great report that came out today from the VPN company Surfshark that studied internet censorship around the world. And they have found that in Africa, since 2015, 
30 countries have imposed some restrictions on access to social media and online content. And worldwide, that number is 66 out of 180. So in many ways, what Nigeria has done is part of a much larger trend. Yes, it definitely is. Um, you know, at the same time, I think well, one should be, well, you know, kind of one, one should trade carefully in terms of in terms of kind of connecting the strand directly with China, um, simply because uh, you know, kind of uh, one one of our uh, um, our friends, uh, the fr- friends of of the podcast, um, Eugenio Galeardone, which we've had um, on several times before, his work has pointed out that that in many cases in Africa, the 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 kind of reasoning or the 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 reasons given by these governments. Who, when when they kind of they crack down on the on the internet, um, is as as you mentioned in the case of Nigeria, occasionally kind of Chinese style like national sovereignty kind of reasons, but in other cases they, it's it's just as just as likely to be kind of American style war on terror rhetoric that's used you know kind of to crack down on the internet. So it's not necessarily that it's a one to one connection to China, although as you say, China provides an entire kind of worldview and an entire model of thinking about how the internet should be. Run. Let's get a perspective on this from somebody who has been following this very closely. Ameko Meje is a lecturer in communication studies at the University of Ghana. He's also a native Nigerian who's worked in Nigeria as a journalist for more than a decade. He's also been a lecturer there and also in South Africa and knows the space very well and has been following the story quite closely. He's an old friend of the show, and we're thrilled to have Emeka back. A very good afternoon to you, Emeka. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Eric. I mean, um, the, the situation in Nigeria, like like you rightly pointed out, it is not a direct line to say, oh, China, China has come to Nigeria and, and told uh, the president or the Nigerian political actors oh, you should shut down the internet, you should regulate the internet. No. But, you know, the world has become, um, you know, a kind of two models, you know, guiding, um, guiding the global affairs. So you have the U.S. model and the Chinese model here. So most times, China provides a kind of, you know, some form of inspiration, some form of, you know, you know confidence, you know, bolstering for the local actors. So, I mean, local actors could say, a way of convincing the people, say, oh, well, um, China is prospering, and the internet, the social media is controlled, is well regulated. Then we could do the same thing, and we also would be well. I mean, the country will also prosper. I mean, but we, I mean, Africans all, we all want to prosper. Um, I mean, one thing that we have to agree is that whatever. I mean, even if you are a dictatorship in Africa and the economy is prospering, people will overlook it. So if you are able to, you know, tell people that well, if we shut down the social media, the country will prosper. People will say, okay. Where has it been done? Is China has done it, and Africans say, "Oh, China has, China has been prospering." So, oh, fine, okay, let you, okay, try and do it. Okay, that means if you do it, we also prosper. So, uh, I agree that China is not coming, you know, is not forcing political actors in Nigeria to say, "Please regulate your social media plat- platform or social media space." But that inspiration is there. That uh, that um, that confident boasting is also there. So we are saying. Uh, the Chinese mo- model is good. It, it's, 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 it's been proven over time. China has done it. If you also look to the Middle East, you will see that that has been done by some other countries in that axis. And they're also prospering. So why shouldn't Nigeria? I mean, if Nigeria does it, we should also prosper. So these are, these are influences, you know. They, they are not, it's not a straight line, like um, Kobos rightly pointed out. It's not a straight line, um, but it's just there. 
the influences are there. So we can't deny that. We can't deny that, that that's an inspiration, that China is an inspiration for many uh, African political uh, leaders. You know, but I've, like I pointed out earlier, I said one thing that we must all come to acknowledge is that China will provide digital infrastructure in the short term, short to medium, medium term. They will meet our, you know, our requirements for um, digital infrastructures in Africa. You know, but one, one thing that I keep on, I keep on happening on is, I mean, what happens in the next 10 to 20 years when there's a total decoupling between the U.S. and China in the technological, in the technology space? I mean, now we have um, Huawei's um, Harmony OS and we have Android and iOS. So what happens when there's a total decoupling between these two segments? So we have you know, Chinese on one side and the U.S. on the other side. What happens to freedom of information? What happens to um, political pluralism? What happens to free speech? So this is what, I mean, most African political actors are not taking into cognizance. But these are realities that we have to come to, we have to, come to terms with as things uh, evolve over time. So where, whether we like it or not, China remains an inspiration. It remains a model that African leaders look up to. And this, this could have influenced the action in Nigeria. Because like you rightly pointed out, um, the first lady has happened on this in 2019. Uh, the Minister of Information also repeated this in 2020. They couldn't have just been repeating that. You know, they couldn't have been, I mean, <laughs> less, they could have pointed to some other countries. They could have pointed to uh, maybe any other country. Why China? It's because it's a model, it's an inspiration. So that's what I, that's what I think. I agree with you that, that, that China kind of creates this kind of inspiration or, or kind of a model of, of how this, this kind of situation can work. But can you um, outline some, what are some of the domestic reasons why Nigeria decided to, to ban Twitter and why did they decide now? Like what, what, what is pushing the government to, to act now? Well, I mean, in the case of Nigeria, you will realize that there's an ongoing insecurity, you know, insecurity, conflict crisis in Nigeria. And um, Twitter has been, social media has been um, a kind of space where people, you know, posted stories, where people, uh, people could voice their concerns about what is happening in Nigeria. Um, you would also take, we also take note that in October 2020, there was an NSAS um, protest, which was, you know, um, which was the first time that a protest was uh, uh, organized online and it was very, very successful. Uh, so these, you know, local dynamics, one, the conflict in almost every part of Nigeria that is in the, if you go to the southeast, um, there's the Biafra self-determination group ongoing in the southeast. Um, if you go to the Middle Belt, there's Hesman um, uh, farmers uh, crisis. If you go to the northwest, um, there's banditry, uh, and, and there's banditry. If you go to the northeast, um, there's uh, Boko Haram insurgency and ISWAP ongoing there. If you go to the southwest, there's also people, Odua self-determination group. If you go to the south-south, uh, there is Niger Delta uh, self-determination group. So everywhere in Nigeria, it's, um, it's you know, crisis, crisis everywhere. So social media platform, the platforms have become, a, you know, a space uh, for Nigerians, you know, to, to, to voice out what is happening in the country. Because most times, the local media, media, the mainstream media, they don't cover these things. So it is, the, it is social media. So people are going to post what is happening on social media. Then the, the ruling, the government does, does not want people to see what is happening. They don't want it to go out because it is when the international community knows what is happening within in Nigeria that they, I mean, they take action. So they want 
these things to be covered. And that's why, I mean, the internet, the social media is being regulated in Nigeria. We agree that the issues of fake news, I mean, which is, which is normal, you know, which, is, which happens in every, in every space where, the, where social media is uh, in, in operation, you know. Uh, but it's not because of that. The real reason is because the social media space provides an outlet for people to voice what is happening in Nigeria. And recently, you would also have noticed that um, when Buhari went to London, um, there was a protest. The protest was organized via social media, which made him to return from London back to, uh, back to, back to Abuja. Even when he went to France for a summit, there was also a protest. And it was organized via Twitter. It was even organized via Twitter. Then again, in recent times, uh, Twitter decided to set up office in Ghana instead of Nigeria. So, so, so many of those factors, you know, building up, you know, um, uh, made the Nigerian government to say, okay, um, this is becoming too much. Um, if we shut this down, people in Nigeria will not have access to certain information. And people outside of Nigeria will also not have access to certain information that is happening in Nigeria. Uh, as we speak, what is happening in the southeast of Nigeria is, is something else. It's, it's very, it, it could make you weep, you know. You know, people are being rounded up and, you know, things are happening like that. that the only way the world could see this is through social media. It is not happening elsewhere. So the government doesn't want this to be out, and that's why they're regulating the social media. This is what I think. So in many ways, it does resemble, again, what the situation is in countries like China or in Vietnam or in other authoritarian countries where truth is whatever the government says it is. And in this case, what you're saying is that the Buhari administration and the leadership are struggling to control the narratives over all of these different conflicts and disputes and the politics, and again, confronting fake news, which is a legitimate problem, but they're using that as a rationale to do a much broader crackdown. And so I guess in terms of controlling this narrative, how much of a role do you think that played into it of all the different factors that they had? Well, I mean, one of the things that you would have noticed that the government, like you pointed out, the government is struggling to control the narrative. Unfortunately, the narrative has been snatched from them by, um, by Nigerians on Twitter and other social media platforms. So the government is not in charge of the narrative. It's not, it's not in control of the narrative. Uh, the people are in control of the narrative. So uh, the only way to, you know, to, to snatch it back from the people and take charge over it is to shut down the social media. And that is what has happened by, I mean, by, by, the, by, the, by banning Twitter in Nigeria. But, but the problem is you've banned Twitter. What of Facebook? What of Instagram? What of um, Telegram? There are so many platforms that still function in Nigeria. So the truth is that the government will try, but they won't succeed. Uh, because Nigeria has been through this, this phase before. We are here. I mean, we are here when we had the Abacha dictatorship, and I mean, we knew how it ended. So uh, what I know is that they won't, it, will, it will just be, a, it, is, it is going to be a futile attempt to control the narrative. They won't succeed in controlling the narrative in Nigeria. It's going. It, it, they're just. It just. I would call it the trial balloon. It's not going to work. Even the government knows that it's, going, it's not going to work. Then, beside that, you know, so many Nigerians are also are also living on. Are also, um, they are they at their livelihood out of Twitter, out of social media. There's so many young people who who make out who make a living out of social media, out of Twitter, out of Instagram, and now their businesses have been have been affected. These guys. How are they going to survive? I mean, we are, you want to solve one problem, you are, create, you are creating so many others, another problem, economic problem. So this is what the government should take into cognizance. And Kobus, one of the points that I was trying to make in some of my columns this week that we did for our subscribers was that it's not that Nigeria wants to copy the Chinese model full stop, which is, again, what Emeka was saying in terms of the Chinese have shut it all down. 
there is virtually no other narrative that competes with what the Chinese Communist Party says. And they control that from top to bottom. The entire infrastructure is built on that. And they have an enforcement mechanism that is very effective at ensuring compliance with that system. Nigeria, as Emeka pointed out, is far more chaotic and can never be controlled the way that the Chinese system is. So it's not that. What it is, though, is, again, going back to this earlier point that I was trying to make and that you made, which was the inspiration. It's a roadmap for parts of it. So the chaos with the control can sit side by side together, even though it's not entirely taking the whole Chinese system and importing it over to a place like Nigeria. Yeah, it's you know I th- I think it's the, the the biggest news I think for for non-Nigerians to you know from from this story is it's just a proof of how the old narrative coming out of the West that open free internet automatically leads to 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 development to internet driven you know economic development that I think is still true in the West but but what China has shown is that you don't need an open and free internet to have internet business you know China China makes a ton of money from the internet Chinese companies run kind of like massive gargantuan e-commerce businesses and you know cryptocurrencies and everything with a, a very highly centrally controlled internet you know so so I think that basic story has been disproven by China and 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 I think the the the, the kind of Western narrative on the, on this particular thing is is in a very troubled moment I think because you know because not only has this kind of like this connection between development and and, and the free internet you know has been as you know there there's a very kind of strong counter argument against that thanks to China, but also um, because the West has had such so many problems of its own during the Trump era in, in terms of like the uh, kind of a loss of a shared reality thanks to social media, you know. So so in that sense, that that kind of adds another weapon, I think, in, in to to that to the hands of of authoritarian regimes, including China. You know, if if you speak with Chinese officials, they the the first thing they say about this kind of about these issues is, well, look how chaotic it is in in the U.S. Look how on the sixth of January they stormed they stormed um, you know the capital. You know, without without with a kind of unregulated social media, that's that's the problem that you get. And it's not just in Africa either. Here in Southeast Asia, Singapore has censorship controls on its internet. It's one of the most dynamic economies in the world. Vietnam as well. So this is not uniquely a Chinese thing. As we saw from that research report, 66 countries around the world have some degree of this kind of censorship. And your point is very interesting that there's not a correlation between internet innovation and business and these types of censorship controls, that too might have been very appealing to the Buhari government, given the fact that Lagos and Nigeria as a whole is a fintech hub, one of the the most important web development and internet e-commerce development hubs in all of Africa. You know, like just I could just add one more thing there. I think I think just just in terms of, and this is just this is not specifically about Nigeria, but it's, it's in, in terms of the way that that these these things are narrated. I think one of the one of the kind of like weak spots in in, in Western kind of like takes on on this on this issue is that you know kind of the. How, how to put this? Like, you know, some some of the some of the most effective kind of Western internet businesses, some some of the most the most like kind of world shaping ones, do have this kind of author, like like implicitly authoritarian aspect to them, which need which you know kind of which tend to get kind of explained away because it's explained as as a business tactic. You know, so this is um you know what what has come to be be, be known as um as surveillance capitalism. You know, kind of is the thing of like of Instagram 
Primal, you know, many of these, many other kind of platforms kind of tracking, tracking your movement across the internet for commercial reasons, right? So there is a kind of an authoritarian aspect kind of like baked into that success, which can't easily be kind of dismissed, you know, and, and I think I think that kind of also weakens weakens that argument. Emeka, um, in in the case of Nigeria, is is there has there been a lot of kind of panic in in, in terms of how all of how this kind of ban is impacting all of the other internet based businesses in Nigeria? Because you know Nigeria obviously is a big center for e commerce and other businesses. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there's been. I've seen. I mean, I I've seen a lot of guys on Twitter who says well. Um, we just launched our company, um, my products, blah, blah. I couldn't, you know, make deliveries. I could because there are so many people who are surviving on, on via Twitter on the internet here. So it is causing a lot of, a lot of you know, turmoil, a lot of tension um, locally um, in, in Nigeria. You see, um, you raised a very, very critical point about the correlation between development and um, uh, free internet, you know. Um, if, you con- if you look at those countries like China, like Singapore, like um, uh, Vietnam, where internet is, you know, heavily um, um, regulated, and there's also some form of um, um, economic development, you will find that there's a, there's a commitment, you know, um, to economic development uh, by the political leadership. But that is not the same in most of you know, sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, what you find in most of sub-Saharan Africa is, is a kind of, you know, um, um, commitment to, to, to self rather than to, 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 to governance. So people are, you know, political leaders are more committed to, you know, advancing their own, their own well-being, their own economic well-being and that of their family or that of their ethnic group, ethnic group over that of the whole country. So you find out that in the long run, um, even if you say, okay, um, um, you find out in the long run, even if you say, okay, um, there won't be any relation, even if you say, okay, control the internet. Even when they control the internet, you would not see any, any correlation between regulating um, the internet and economic development. So in other words, it will be better for you to leave the internet um, free so that the people can, you know, you know try to you know, um, empower themselves using that platform, you know, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an avenue. Instead of controlling the platform, and you're not offering anything to help the people to, to advance or to develop economically. So these are some of the dynamics that we have to consider. You know, when we make this argument, it works in Asia. Uh, maybe it works in, it, it also works in some, some country in the Middle East. But I, I have not seen it work in Africa. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's working in anywhere, anywhere in Africa. Maybe, I don't know, I don't think. Um, if you go to if you go to Uganda, I don't think it's working there. I mean, um, so I, I don't. I, I think African political actors do not have that discipline. I not say do not have, but some of them do not have because I knew I know there are a few persons who should have, but I know that as it is now, some political actors in Africa don't have that discipline, that commitment, you know, to national development that we that will advance, you know, the economic well-being of the people. Instead, they they, they focus on themselves, their families, and maybe their, 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 their ethnic groups. So these are some of the complications that we have to take um, into cognizance when we discuss the, this issue of um, economic development and free internet. You know, when it comes to Africa, it's a different ballgame entirely. Well, it has been a bad year for internet freedom in many parts of Africa. Felix Chesikedi, the president of the Democratic Republic of Congo, has shut down part of the internet. Also, the late president, John Magufuli in Tanzania during the election campaign there, shut down the internet. Museveni in Uganda shut down the internet. And lately, we've seen it also in parts of Ethiopia, where Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has shut it down there as well. So to your point, 
that the authoritarian tendencies seem to be very close to the surface in many African countries. I guess I'm wondering what direction do you see it going in Nigeria? The president is under enormous public pressure to to withdraw the ban. He called it, they gave themselves some wiggle room by saying it was a temporary suspension so long as Twitter addresses some of their concerns. Not clear that Twitter's going to do that, but let's say that they can find a way out. Do you think that the that, that, that the Buhari administration is going to go more towards the authoritarian side and continue their talks, reported talks, allegedly with the Chinese to build a, a Nigerian great firewall like what they have in China? Or do you see him pulling back and doing what you suggested, which is giving people the space to earn their living and to do things? And there's other ways to tackle fake news and the problems that the Nigerians are talking about. Which way do you think that they're going to go? Uh, this could be a guess, but I think um, June 12 is just two, uh, June 12 is about three days, three days. In three days' time, it will be June 12. Um, and they had planned, there's the, I think there's a planned national protest in Nigeria. So my mind tells me that, well, the ban could also be to forestall um, um, the outcome of that protest so that it would not be um, disastrous. That is what I think, you know. So um, I have this. Uh, this thinking that there's a possibility that um, after June 12th, um, the government of President Buhari could withdraw the ban um, because there's enormous pressure on the government to do so. Um, again, if the government decides to go the other way, because wh- what we have here is that even most people in the government are also benefiting from Twitter. Um, most political actors want to reach want to reach people outside of Nigeria, and they use social media, they use Twitter. So, in the long run, well, if the government decide to 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 you know to continue with the ban, I mean, this is just this is 2021. Um, by in two years' time, this administration will come to an end, and the next person who comes would want to you know um, withdraw the ban. Or before the, before the next election, they want to withdraw the ban. Well, you 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 assume, but maybe not, right? I mean, you, we just don't know. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Actually, I don't know, but I just think so. This is my own mind. This is my thinking anyway. And and how do you think this this kind of current scandal? How how does that affect Buhari's political? kind of future you know is is do you think he'd, he'd get a lot of kind of opposition to him because of the ban or will it actually gather some support well buhari has got nothing to lose any longer this is his second term and final term so whether you support him or you do not support him he does not make any meaning to buhari so that's why <laughs> and, and and his party as you know going to well, be in the wider scheme from the way the party is going you would realize that there will be definitely there will be realignments there will be realignments there will be spin-offs uh, in the in the in the all progressive congress that would definitely happen and i don't think buhari is not buhari, i don't think buhari you know is really after um, you know um, you know having someone you know i don't think he's training anyone to take over for him i don't see buhari in that light so he doesn't. He's got nothing to lose. Actually, it is. He's. he's, he's, he's I mean, he's ruled Nigeria before. This is second time. What does. What. What. What else does he want from God? God has done for him everything that he, he could ever ask for. So, I mean, he's got nothing to lose. You support him or not, it doesn't affect Buhari in any way. I, I must confess. I guess the concern for me is that whether the ban stays or whether it goes, it's not really the important thing here. The fact is that an important benchmark was crossed. An important line was crossed. And maybe this time Buhari will pull back 
But you know that Nigeria has a long history of anti-democratic leaders. And there's a possibility that the next person who comes in, again, you're optimistic and hopeful. We just don't know. And, and Nigeria is in such a fluid political situation right now, given all of the conflicts, given all of the unrest that it faces and the challenges that it's facing. And we are still not through with the whole COVID situation, even though many parts of the world in the United States and Europe, they're celebrating and going out and having all their fun. For those of us in the global South, it ain't happening. So this is still a long road ahead for what happens in COVID, and that could have a political impact as well. So looking forward, it crossed the line. And once you've crossed the line once, it's easy to cross it again. So true. And that's where, I guess that's my concern. Yeah. I think it's also my concern because it, it's, it's a precedent, you know, so people will always say, well, I mean, because if you see what has happened in the, in the Buhari administration, most times they do something and people, people complain, but say, well, but it was good luck Jonathan did it in, during, during his time. So because Buhari has done it, if we have another democratic-related you know, government in the future, the, the person could say, okay, well, Buhari did it and what happened? Nothing happened. Yeah, we could do it again. I mean, I mean, there's this, you know, this mindset among the political, you know, actors in Nigeria that leave Nigerians, they will just complain. After complain, they will go. And I mean, if we, I'm um, just watch it. After people complain for like two weeks, they will just forget. They will move on. That is the problem in Nigeria. Nobody's going to keep on complaining and complaining and complaining. No, nobody's going to keep on protesting for the next, say, six months or one year. No. So people just complain. Oh, Twitter is gone. Twitter is gone. And everybody's scared. Nobody wants to bear the cat. Nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to be shot or nobody wants to lose his or her life because I don't think it's worth losing anyone's life anyway. So they say, okay, let's leave. Let's just wait. You know, Nigerians are very patient people. Um, let's just wait. Two years' time, he will leave. Uh, we'll just continue again. We're just patient people. I mean, but, I mean, not nice for freedom of speech, you know. And freedom of information in Nigeria, I don't think it's not a nice thing for now. Do, do you foresee, you know, uh, in, in either in Nigeria or in other parts of Africa, um, governments moving towards a more comprehensive kind of full Chinese style uh, firewall? You know, it, it's, it strikes me that, you know, at the, at the, a lot of people have, um, have have pointed out that, that you know, many Nigerians immediately switch onto VPNs, you know, kind of just continue, continue to use Twitter via VPNs. Um, and at at the moment, the the enforcement of it is, is relatively is relatively kind of fast and loose, you know, um, and you, and, and in, in that sense, the kind of the relative chaos of Nigeria or other or like a kind of lack of central organization that we see in Nigeria um, and in many other African countries would make it seem to make it a lot harder to to run this kind of like Chinese style, even Vietnam style, like you know, central government firewall. Do you foresee that kind of cropping up in in parts of Africa at some stage? Well, it's, it's, it's not, you, you can't dismiss it, um, but I don't know where it will start. Maybe in some other countries, but I don't know. But it wouldn't be in Nigeria. Maybe in Rwanda. <laughs> <laughs> but it wouldn't be in Nigeria because, I mean, like you mentioned, like you rightly mentioned, you know, the chaos, it, it would be very difficult. How are you going to regulate it? We have over 200 million people. How are you going to centralize? I mean, I know it's happened in China. That's why, I mean, the first lady, that's why the first lady, that's why the first lady was saying. But, but hold on. It's not as expensive or as complicated as it used to be 15, 20 years ago. You can get Huawei to come in and install a network that basically will do it for you if, if that's what you want. 
We've seen that Huawei can do that and build those kinds of systems. This is what Hikvision, Huawei, ZTE, all the stuff that they're building and perfecting out in Xinjiang is being rolled out now across the country in China in terms of the surveillance state, and that's available for sale. So if you wanted to bring that, you can do it, and everybody who logs onto a phone in in you know will not be able to get it and a vpn i can tell you as somebody who lived in beijing for a long time beijing has the deepest most thorough control of the internet much more so than the rest of the country it is hardcore okay okay you know you know one thing that people don't consider when they talk about Sub-Saharan africa is the you know the ethnic um ethnic implications of some of these things, you know. Um, you come to power and you are from a particular tribe in Nigeria, maybe you are from the north, and you implement these things. Someone else comes from the south and says, man, I don't like this. They do the other one. So people are, it is, it, it is good, we, we could do that in Nigeria, but there are, so, there are also issues of ethnicity, you know, that will affect how these things evolve. Now it is being done from, by Buhari, who is from the north. Someone will come tomorrow from the south and say, well, he wants to win over the people. He wants to, you know, he wants to gain the popular, you know, following. And he says, "Well, I don't think this is right. This is not good for freedom of speech and democracy. I don't believe in it." And it goes. So we must take into cognizance why we consider uh, some of these developments, especially um, regulation of the internet in Africa, in, in sub-Saharan Africa. We must also take into cognizance uh, the ethnic, you know, ethnic part of it. That uh, ethnicity plays a huge role in, in our in our in our contest, you know, because. You could do that and the other person comes and says, because I'm not from your tribe, because it doesn't fit well into what I think. Man, this is complicated, but f- absolutely fascinating. Emeke Omeje is a lecturer in communication studies at the University of Ghana, a former longtime journalist in Nigeria, also a scholar in Nigeria as well. So wonderful to have you back on the show after too many years. It's been too long. We hope that it won't be so long until the next time you come and join us. If people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days, and I know you're commenting quite a bit on these issues, where can they find you? And I, I, I'm afraid you're going to say Twitter, but let's go ahead. Remember, <laughs> Twitter is the place to be. Uh, at least I'm not banned. I'm not in Nigeria, so I'm not banned from Twitter. So Twitter is fine. <laughs> And what's your Twitter handle? Um, at Emeka Omeje. Okay, we'll put a link to Emeka's Twitter handle there. So everybody outside of Nigeria and outside of China who wants to get it without a VPN, we'll put it there. For those of you in Nigeria and China, you're going to have to use a VPN. Uh, sometimes in Beijing you can get it, sometimes not. It just depends if there's a sensitive political event going on. But Emeka, thank you so much for taking the time to join us again. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm grateful. It was a nice time being here. Kobus, this is a fast-moving, very complicated story that even from the time that we're recording now and when you are listening to this show, the situation's going to have changed quite a bit. So one of the key points that, again, I've been trying to make and I've made all week in my columns was the fact that I don't believe, like you, that there is a direct line between Chinese internet surveillance and Chinese internet control and what the Chinese want other countries to do and the actions taken by the Buhari administration on Twitter. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. And and again, my columns this week raised an unusual amount of objection from, from a number of people. Zainab Usman, who is the Africa program director at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, let me read you what she said. She said, don't know about this framing, Eric. I would be cautious about roping China into a situation driven by local dynamics within Nigeria. These include the government's overreach and incompetence in addressing insecurity and Twitter's own failures in clamping down on disinformation. Truth is, I fully agree with what she said, 100%. 
But what I think she is discounting is this idea, the inspiration for doing this kind of action, in my view, does come from the precedent that's been set by the Chinese for their model of internet governance. And when we talk about the concerns that Americans have and that Europeans now increasingly have about China changing the world order to more and better reflect their image and their interests. This is, in my view, what it looks like in reality, where the Nigerian government has taken a concept of the Chinese on internet governance and cyber sovereignty, where the nation state controls the internet and has jurisdiction and sovereignty over the internet to do things in, quote, national security and national interest, that is not the kind of language that we heard prior to 2010 and the Chinese internet laws before they came out, as far as I know. Again, that may not be the case, but as far as I know, the Chinese introduced this concept of cyber, cyber sovereignty on a scale that was much larger and more established than anyone else had. Yeah, you know, kind of this is this is norm setting. This is this is what you know, kind of when the Europeans and Americans freak out about China setting norms. This is what they're talking about. It's like it's China just just provides an alternative model, an alternative set of norms, an alternative narrative of 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 what the relationship between governments and the internet should be. You know, and the the thing is, you know, I, I think I still think the West sets a more to my mind. I mean, but of course, I, you know, kind of I'm very Western influenced. But you know, kind of to my mind, the West sets a, a, a more compelling. And and you know and better kind of narrative, but the thing is, no one can I think deny even the most like most rabidly pro-Western kind of you know kind of proponent can 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 deny that the West has had its own problems you know with with these issues um, and and not least with Twitter you know so. You know, so so that, that that's that's the situation we, we with. You know, kind of is that is that the 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 Western narrative of of a free and open internet that's that's kind of ruled by by kind of transnational institutions is great, but like it's it's proven very vulnerable. It's proven very vulnerable in its own centers. You know, within the U.S., for example. So there we are. You know, so, um, and and the thing is, you know, the so far we haven't you know we we haven't seen the next chapter in in the Chinese model you know kind of because the chinese the chinese model in china is incredibly strong and 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 very like aggressively implemented um and in in the you know in the rest of the world where where it is being implemented we we so far haven't seen the pushback that will inevitably come from these populations you know so 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 it's a, it's a moment where it seems you know it it falsely seems more stable i think than it probably is in the long term um but we we're in a moment where it's very easy for governments to to cry national sovereignty and then switched off the internet. If this is a topic that's interesting to you, this is what we've been talking about all week in our newsletter and on our website. And if you'd like to access the articles on our website, you're going to have to subscribe. Super cheap, super easy to do. Go to chinaafricaproject.com slash subscribe. Subscriptions start at just $7 a month for students and teachers and $15 a month for everybody else. But it is by far the most comprehensive coverage on this subject with the Chinese angle on all of it. And again, we were talking about Jeffrey Onyema today, the foreign minister, and how he was refuting the fact that the there was a conversation with Chinese cyber authorities. But all those little details on the Chinese angle is what we cover. And so if this is something that you're following, if you're working in Washington or in Brussels and China's on your agenda, you're definitely going to want to have access to the site and to get the newsletter every day. Once again, ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. So Kobus and I will be back again next week with another show. For Kobus Fenstaden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. 
the discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. Or follow the guys on Twitter. Eric's at Iolanda, and you can find Kobas at Stadenesk. For more information about the China Africa Project and to sign up for our free weekly email news brief, go to chinaafricaproject.com. Thank you.